it's a bit up there. I got a pretty good monitor. Oh, it was, okay. I was treating myself to a stream improving and work improving piece of equipment because I managed to pay all my taxes hey. and still not being completely zeroed out in my bank accounts. Well done. How'd you feel? Uh, I feel like I have paved two meters of road <laughs> somewhere in the, our great nation. Somewhere out there, there is just yeah. two meters of road that got my name on it. I mean, I'm not sure about the quality of the road. Or, well, I mean, it depends how much taxes you paid. If you paid a lot, then, then yeah, great. Great road. That two meters of road, probably all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's that's good. I'm glad that we, we have both now ticked that box in time for the deadline. Indeed. I, I knew how much I needed for so long and still uh, I was kind of squeezing on the last month. Hate that. Hate that so much. Yeah. Now, part of me wants to start saving now, but then... Today I got a, my phone call. I put my car in the garage for its MOT. Right. So here's my biennial rant at how expensive cars are because cars are ridiculous. 448 quid to fix my ailing Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, it's a, it is a shame that we have set up society in such a way that cars are mostly needed, not like I, optional. I need it, yes, I do. Only people like me have the option of having a car or not. And even then, like, having one would be pretty pretty useful, but at least I can opt out. Whereas, like, imagine if, like, like you think about your wages, how much money you make compared to the poorest of the poor. Yep. They often still need cars. It's mad. It, it is mad, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's not fair. It is not fair. There was someone, uh, it, we could talk about inflation on this show, but it's not on the list. However, okay. let's talk about it now. There was a uh, Jack Monroe on Twitter who, who tweeted a thread about, hey, I know everyone's like, oh, inflation's going up to 5%. That's terrible. But that's for mm -hmm. very middle class people. You might find things are a few more pence expensive. But then in this thread, Jack takes you through the, the cheapest Tesco value or Aldi value pasta right. has gone from 29p to 70p. That's oh. like a 100 or like a 200% increase. That's dire. She, she went through all of these like value items and they have all skyrocketed. So it's... Insane. I think the comparison was uh, she took the average of all these value items and said the M&S uh, Dine for Two has been a, a tenner for the last decade. If right. the £10 was to go up at the same rate of inflation, that would now cost something like £47.50 if it was comparable to all the, the tiny yeah, yeah, value yeah. items which the poorest in society are going to be hit with. It's mad. And then everyone's like, well, why don't the poor people eat well? <laughs> it's like, well, if you keep making even the cheap ingredients expensive, yeah. and then it costs them time to do it, of course they're going to be ordering the cheapest mass-produced fast food instead because you actually get a return on value. And also, Jack was making the point that people who are very middle class are unable to relate to the fact that no way, for the poorest yeah. in society, as she was... You know, sometimes you would have she would have to nibble a stock cube to deal with hunger, or drink the formula yeah. milk meant for for the baby, or go to the food bank and ask for six sugars in her tea because that was all the calories she was going to get that day. Yeah, which is awful. And that's like that's not uncommon in this one of the wealthiest countries in the world. It still isn't uncommon today, and that part just hurts so much because there's so many things that we could do differently to treat people well, but instead. All the right. leaders of the nation care about is like 
treating our economy like a like a bank account not like a nation but like oh. a household bank account where you you have to be able to advertise that you're spending responsibly for the nation right right well, you got to invest in a nation not like pretend that there's a bottom line we we are talking though about a country in which the chancellor of said country is richer than the queen true so true. that's a problem who also gave his wife 1.3 million pounds worth of covid loans <laughs> and this wasn't the headlines he got he got like a little pat on the shoulder like oh well <laughs> sorry you lost that money he, <laughs> what there was more fraud to do with like COVID loans, and the poor people of the nation will manage to fraud to get TVs. Right, but who's going to get the headlines? Is the one little Billy on the street who has a TV, <laughs> and his name's not even Billy. It's probably something from Eastern Europe, isn't it? That's who. That's who they're after. That's who they want. No, that's who would really get the headlines. Yeah, if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't even a local poor person, if it was an immigrant poor oh. person, they better not be doing a, a penny of fraud. Meanwhile, we lose several billion. Who cares? Indeed, I feel we've we've dove headfirst into you know really <laughs> harsh reality in which this is meant to be the nice opening stages at which we ease people in. How are you doing, Colin? I'm fine. I, I haven't slept very well this week. I've had really vivid dreams. The people were throwing bread oh. at me and Graham and we only had donuts to throw back and we felt terrible because <laughs> we really wanted to eat them. <laughs> and wait, wait, why, what was the logic for the bread and donuts throwing? Was there was it a food fight? I think they thought that we were famous. Or perhaps I was living my twenty fourteen STV Glasgow dreams again and, you know, being stopped on the on the street for selfies. Which right. did happen twice. Did what, where did the where does the throwing of bread come into that? I don't know. I think maybe something to do with the fact that I don't eat bread anymore because, you know, carbs, so calories. So they're trying to torment you with the bread? Or were they seeing you eating the donuts and they're like, hey, you got to care about your health, bread. <laughs> I, I Genuinely, I do think the health slash diet stuff has probably got something to do with it because I have sworn off donuts at least for January Ooh. Uh, in that short-lived attempt to uh, eat better. I'm sure you'll manage. But you know what? It's It's been fine so far. I had beans and tuna for lunch, which... Uh, beans and was, tuna? Far from the most appetizing meal I've ever had. How did had. you prepare your beans? Oh, uh, in a in a in a pan, in a pot, heated. Good, good. You do it. You do it the right way. Okay. okay and then you just and then you add the cold microwave tuna. microwave bean heathens out there. You're you're seen, and <laughs> okay. I don't like it. And uh, yeah, and it's, sorry. In the rest of that dream, we then stopped to admire a um, a portrait of John Travolta. And I have no earthly idea. Oh yeah. Why John Travolta was in my dream, but he was. He showed up. That's a weird one. And then yeah, he was dreams, gone. Dreams are are interesting. I I I I went through this phase of not caring about people's dreams, and then I've realized that dreams are interesting because I don't care about them. It's really oh, they, funny. But they're fun to. I used to wake up, and because I always vividly remember my dream as soon as I wake up for like a couple of minutes. Yeah, you diary. Your either dreams. either diary or in the past, as I've said before. I usually just record on my phone and talk. And some of these, like, speeches are seven or eight minutes long. Absolutely rammed with detail. It's mad. And then, you know, they, they never mean anything, but it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, for a little while, did a little, like, I was doing a single-line diary of my dreams as soon as I woke up. So, like, still in the delirium of brand new fresh face in the world yeah i've got no idea what's going on and those lines were very good sometimes i should pick that back up again because the combination of dreams making zero sense and also it's two minutes into the morning life makes zero sense it's a it's a good combo for crazy lines i think i had one that was just like sold a camel nice i had a, that was my summary of a dream 
I've, I don't think I've ever encountered a camel. Maybe I've been to a zoo that had one. I don't remember a camel in person, but I sold one in a dream. T- talking of crazy lines, a client asked me this week if I would be comfortable filming filming myself in front of an A&E and uh, talking to the camera and asking, have you had an accident at hospital? Would you like to claim insurance Ooh. on it? And I said, are you mad? Absolutely not. Go away. Ask somebody else. Yeah, they're like a sound of that one. And just when we talked about inflation as well, one other pet peeve I noticed this week, which is incredibly first world problems. Many eggs are now on sale. And dear listener, many eggs are my favorite (laughs) sweetie in the world. However, the bags are now the size of probably what the 30p mini egg bags used to be. A long time oh, ago. Disgrace. And what they're doing is, uh, it's called shrinkflation, in which they will charge you the same amount, which in this case is a pound, except the bag is, it's it's decreasing every year. That is a fact. Yeah. And so they're yeah. selling you less for the same amount, and it's it's terrible, and it makes me sad. We've, yeah, we've all experienced this, the, uh, the noticing that things are getting smaller, and then all the corpos come out with their messages like, no, you just got larger since your childhood. It's like, well, actually, no, I'm, comp- I'm comparing it now to like five years ago when I was already right. fully grown and already super depressed. I, I, I definitely was not a child at that point. They're like, no, 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 your hands are bigger. And so is your stomach. As I've learned this month. But anyway, let's let's crack on, shall we? Seesaw Parade, episode 275. Still like, here. That's a pretty nice number, though. It is. Let's make it a good one. I'm Colin, and he is Jame. I am. And we are your new favourite podcast, Scotland's longest-running news-slash-politics-slash-entertainment-slash-is-Russia-going-to-invade-Ukraine podcast in existence, <laughs> which we'll get to later on. And we are officially less popular than garages. Oh. I tell you that. Why garages? Because my car is in the garage and it's the first thing that came to mind. Oh, and they make a lot of money and we don't. They do. They, they've taken a chunk of my money today and I'm very sad about that. Mainly because I had had a great week freelance-wise. I was you know, totting up some, some invoices earlier and thought, oh, it's been really good. And then I realised literally all of that is going to the garage today, which uh, it's just painful. Painful, James. Yeah, that's that's... I'm I'm sorry. Uh, like we've had the car rant. I could do it again, though. I always <laughs> hate cars. Let's not. Let's just, dear listener, if you want to hear a rant about cars, pick any arbitrary episode from the last six years, and you'll probably land on one. So you can do that. But if you have any other comments <laughs> to make, you can do so. Get in touch with us, seesawparade at gmail dot com or seesawparade on Twitter, or you can actually just reach out to the two of us individually, okay. as Emil has done. Oh. We have a listener review this week, James, same as we had last week. And this one oh, yeah. is a, a, a Channel 4 movie thing, which I'm looking oh, forward to hearing okay, about okay. later on. Channel 4, hold on to it while it's still good. In terms of, you know, the government might sell it off. Yeah, well, they are trying to privatise it, yeah. <laughs> Love that. Okay, well, on with the show that will never be privatised, unless we <laughs> said something offensive, think, in which case, I maybe... It, I think it technically is privatized, but we could try to come under government control. It's it's privatized in two very specific friend groups on social media. That's that's how privatized we are. Uh, although it's still in the back of my my car. But you know what? Maybe people in the, people in the garage today they'll see my they'll see the sticker and they'll be like, "What is Cease Operate? Let's Google it." Listeners from the garage, welcome. <laughs> yeah, when you listen to this live, 
because, of course, that's what we are. So uh, let's crack on, shall we, and talk about the story which runs and runs and will continue to run probably for several more months, maybe a year, maybe more. We'll see, we'll see. Boris. Okay, James... Yes. A lot My goodness. has happened. More than I thought was possible. Oh, it's it's mad. And every single time I, I saw something else happen, then the, the last thing, which was just as newsworthy, gets pushed down the, the, the agenda. She disappeared. It's very yeah. sad. Okay, well, here is the the main story. Uh, yeah. Sue Gray and her independent report is still yet to arrive. However... Yes, yeah, so we're not allowed to have any opinions yet. Uh, correct. But over the last uh, week, 10 days, yes, we have had growing concern, growing uh, Tory MPs coming out to say they are not very happy with Mr. Boris. And then as more and more details and things have emerged, there have now been calls for him to go. So yeah, two of the uh, ones, yeah. two of the issues, which I'm unsure if we talked about in the last episode, the first one of the year. But the one which was gathering a lot of steam was the day before Prince Philip's funeral, in which the uh, the Queen, who had been apparently told that she uh, could have more people there at the uh, service, yeah, she got a, she got an offer for restriction removal just for the funeral, and she said no because she wanted to set a good example for the rest of the nation. Yeah. Whilst that was happening. There were parties indeed in 10 Downing Street. And everyone's upset. Which led to Boris then apologising to the Queen uh, for essentially letting that happen. Which, you know, I think he's had to apologise to the Queen before for breaking the law and lying to her. I believe he apologised for that as well. So it's good run. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's true. He's got form. Then it's, uh, as I say, that's added to the fact that over the last week, we've had more about the, hey, let's go out and make the the best use of the great weather email, which was sent out by Boris's private secretary. And despite the fact there was some pushback, that appears to have been attended by Boris, who then apologized, which we talked about last week. So (laughs) as this has been ongoing... Yes. The steam has been built up. So... It has. Did we talk about last week, James, the the fact that the Scottish Conservatives, led by lightweight Douglas Ross, (laughs) called for Boris to go? They did. I don't think we talked about it. I think that happened after, but if if not, we didn't talk about it. Right. So so I believe Douglas Ross was one of the first uh, senior figures, and I am putting senior in quotation marks there. Senior in... In Tory levels in Scotland. Leader of the Scottish Conservatives who said that if Boris had lied to Parliament and had uh, attended said party, he must resign. Yeah, which, you know, it stands in line with him saying the same thing about Sturgeon, I guess. So he kind of had to do it. Yeah, yeah, that was the position I took, which was if Sturgeon had done exactly the same thing, he would have been calling her to resign. So fair enough. He's he's, uh, He's He's got a tiny backbone. Right. The very tiniest of backbones. And in the wake of that, we then had Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> Everyone's favourite Victorian. Who came out in a, uh, a Newsnight interview to describe Mr. Douglas Ross as a lightweight and instead double down on yeah. uh, backing the Prime Minister in this soon-to-be yeah. all-out civil war within the Conservative Party. And and you know what? He is a lightweight. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Mogg just told the truth, but... 
not a, not a clever truth to tell. Right. You want to you be treating all your members of your party like they are legitimate and like they are important. Indeed. Um, I think there was a little bit of fallout when he got asked who the representative for Wales was as well and couldn't name them either. He could not, which was... Yeah. Yeah, most entertaining. But this is Friday, by the way. So at the start of this week, rumours began to be spread that the new intake of Tory MPs from 2019, those who won seats known in the uh, the British lexicon as the Red Wall, so basically north of England, which was formerly yeah. Labour and had been Labour all their lives, which then turned Tory, they began to turn on Boris. And soon the whispers were, A little bit. we are going to submit 54 letters to Sir Graham oh, Brady, who is a senior conservative uh, backbencher, basically someone who, who cracks the whip now and again. Yeah. And once we reach the threshold of 54 letters of no confidence, it will trigger a leadership contest. And Boris yeah, yeah. will then have to fight to stay in the job because yes. he ain't resigning. He said it. He said as much. If he does get the the, the no confidence challenge, he is not going to resign. That would be okay. kind of beautiful. So a couple more, uh, as I say, these news stories just continue to happen. There's a lot. We can we can do the big, the, we can summarise big thoughts after all the, all the news is out. Then we had the MP for Bury South, Christian Wakeford, who switched parties on Wednesday. Yeah, because Labour have no backbone. He was Conservative, yeah. and then he decided to join Labour, and he, he literally walked across the Commons floor, and he sat with mm-hmm. Sir Keir Starmer, and all the Labour people cheered. Yeah, because they've and got no backbone. This looks like it may then trigger a by-election uh, in the area in which he is a uh, representative, yep. and local people were a bit like, uh, not sure about that, but yes. okay. I, I think... For this one, I'm just not impressed that Labour would accept into their ranks someone who's voted against the interests of the poor people for this whole yeah, duration yeah. of his, his time in office. Which, granted, he's not been there for too long, a couple of years, but there's been some significant votes on, th- on things to do with welfare, on education, on the distribution of funds and stuff like that. And he's voted against the interests of the poor the whole time. And then Labour's like, hey, come join us. We're not Boris. It's like, no, no. Force him to be an independent. Don't give him a home. Fight for the seat for someone who actually deserves it. But hey, they've taken him. Okay. Because Labour have no backbone. Two more newsworthy events happened. David Davis, the former cabinet minister, former home secretary, uh, was uh, quoted in the Commons of saying in his speech, in the name of God, go. <laughs> yes. Prime which Minister. Might sound emphatic and stuff, but it's he's, he's lifted it. it what, what do you mean? He's, well, he stole that quote from... Uh, Somebody famous. Someone who said it to... Neville Chamberlain. Oh, I've, was it Chamberlain who said it, who said it to think, or said it? I think it? he was the, 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 rece- the recipient of said... Right, yeah. ...quote. Yeah, so who cares? They lifted it from a quote from the War Times, um, and Boris didn't get it, even though Boris is an expert on War Times and on Churchill. So okay, that was the whole point. Me, not an expert. I don't care. Indeed. On the back of that quote from Mr. Davis, we had then a total of six Conservative MPs publicly declaring no confidence in the PM. More were thought to have submitted letters to Sir Graham Brady. And that takes us to today and the latest story, which was after the Tory MP William Ragg came out to say that he and other people within the party had been threatened and blackmailed by colleagues in an attempt to avoid this leadership contest from happening. Boris has since said that he saw and has seen no evidence 
of said blackmail, and Downing mm. Street says mm-hmm. it's not investigating these allegations either. Uh, people who have been calling for the PM's resignation, who apparently, yes, have been blackmailed for, as uh, the defectee, Christian Wakeford, said, funding for a new high school, which was going to get pulled if yeah. he continued down this path of calling for the Prime Minister to resign. So, James, that is where we are. Yeah. After a week. Yeah, and that last one's huge. Increasingly uh, crescen- crescen- crescendous. Uh, an increasing cres- crescendo. Sure, I like that word. <laughs> Yeah. An increasing crescendo of, uh, of stories and fighting and my dad's bigger than your dad and I've got more money than your dad. And this <laughs> is where we are. So, James, big picture. Uh, paint it for us. Paint it wildly. Right. Big big picture. It looks like Boris still has the support of the, most of the people who, are, who have names and roles in the Conservative Party, who are like front benchers, who are in front of the TV and stuff like that. It looks like he still has their support as far as like... They're publicly saying things goes. We have a few significant names saying otherwise. Um, there are the likes of a chancellor who, when asked, are being very party line, but not being very personal about it. So I'm thinking maybe maybe he's on the inside here. Maybe he's going to put his name in the hat to replace Boris. Um, but for the mo- for the most part, there is still a divide in the Conservative Party, and therefore it is in the best interest of the Labour Party, the Lib Dems, everyone else, to keep the divide strong. Um, so, which is why I'm a bit confused as to why Labour are accepting outgoing Conservative members. Um, we have had leadership challenges being declared. I think the Lib Dems have said they're going to issue a vote of no confidence or something along those lines. We've had yep. uh, Starmer finally telling Boris straight up to quit, but fortunately not calling for it himself, but saying he should just do it. Do the honourable um, thing, which is like the euphemism for exactly. just, just do something. And look, I'm saying something which sounds like calling on you to resign, but I'm not. Yeah, exactly. So he's still not doing anything too direct, which I think is the smart move because you just want to keep the Conservatives fighting amongst themselves for as long as possible because... If Labour did try and challenge this, they would all unite behind whoever and stamp Labour back down to insignificance. Um, I, 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 I still am not entirely convinced we'll see a proper vote of no confidence very soon. I'm, I'm still saying month or two, two months. Um, but just based off the trajectory of the last like 10 days, as you've said... I, I wouldn't be surprised at the same time if in two days' time we find out three more parties happened and Boris comes up with some other even more stupid excuse like he didn't know that <laughs> that it wasn't uh, that the parties were against the rules which he did he said something along those lines right uh, he he didn't know that the parties he were at were were breaking lockdown rules because because he doesn't understand the own his own rules that he's setting for the nation I guess. Okay. We might see the challenge happen if if there is more stumbling and more uh, failure, which wouldn't surprise me. Um, the big one for me, the thing that I really hope is followed up on, because the infighting, it's not going to matter by, by the time of the next election. Leadership challenges, not going to matter by the time of the next election. The Tories will be reunited because they are uh-huh. always going to be scummy and they're always going to unite behind someone to try and stamp down Labour with the full force of the media behind them. Um, the thing that I really care about is this chat that we're having of the law being broken regarding how they are trying to get the whip. And the party line and the party whip has always been dodgy because they've always just used people's weaknesses against them when needed. 
and so far as even like accepting things like hiding harassment charges as a favor if the MP will continue to vote in line with the party, stuff like that. Whereas this one, with the accusations that they're basically blackmailing people or MPs by withholding things from their constituents, it's against the law. This is a police matter. So the fact that some of the conservative members are coming out to say this is a police matter, uh, this is happening, it could get investigated. I doubt it because the conservatives just don't get investigated for anything. But I think one of them came out to say, one of the known names came out to say, if every time I was threatened to to toe the line, if every time I was threatened to toe the line, went to the police as as it maybe should, they would have no other time to do anything else, implying that this is the conservative go-to method, that all they do is threaten constituencies and all they do is withhold funds to try and make people vote the party lines, which is disgusting and very illegal. And sh- and it should get a whole lot of people okay. completely out of their office. I'm going to interject at this point because uh, I want to talk. So <laughs> my thoughts on this... It <laughs> was a long one, I'm sorry. It was. In terms of this big picture stuff, Here, here we go. This all started because MPs went back to their constituents, uh, constituencies, I should say, uh, last weekend uh, to test the test the temperature, see what people were thinking. Right. And they came back to the comments, and that is what started this whole ball rolling. So people clearly very, very unhappy that whilst they were forced to go to funerals uh, alone or with yeah. you know, watch it on Zoom, unable to hug anyone, and this is what the, the Prime Minister was doing. So that, to me, that anger... Whilst it's at, at a peak now, I believe will always hang over Boris, whether it's now, whether it's in a month, whether it's in a year. So okay. the, the, the thoughts I've seen or the feedback I've seen from people who want Boris to go is that this is happening too soon and that if Boris is to go, he should go at the end of May because okay. at that point, energy prices will have come in, or rather the price cap will have gone, and that will soar by up to 50%, so we're going to see your energy costs go up, and he will then take the fall for that. Yep, okay, I see what you mean. The Tories will also get slaughtered in the local elections because of all this, so the plan is that when, or rather the suggestion was, that when all that happens, then you call for Boris to go. And that means that they get someone in, yeah, 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 probably yeah. Rishi Sunak, and then he's starting with a clean slate. Yes. All the lockdown stuff is forgiven. Energy prices, that was Boris. Well. Local election <laughs> losses, that was Boris. And now we're heading into election year and everything yeah. is yeah. great. All the corruption. And I'm richer than the Queen. Yeah, so tactically for the Tories, that would be the best Pre- time. Precisely. So that, to me, is is one thing which I yeah. imagine some... Tory MPs who perhaps internally would like Boris to go right now see from the bigger picture perspective of the prosperity of the Tory party and the chances of all of them getting re-elected would be done a world of good if he stays just a little bit longer. And also, yeah, yeah. Th- there's been so much talk. I saw Steve Baker today, the uh, outspoken MP who's always been against Boris, saying he feels this is checkmate for the Prime Minister. So much of this depends on what Sue Gray finds. And I am unconvinced that Sue Gray will find anything particularly damning. 
you know, there is a couple of ways this report could go. Well, one, oh, sorry, no, a couple. There's three ways it can go. The first one yeah. clears him of wrongdoing and says, no, okay. he didn't know anything. He just thought it was a work event. It's fine. Leave him alone. The second one, the second one is he got it wrong. He definitely knew. Blatant lie. But yeah, yeah. He, you know, he, he didn't really know. And then the third one is <laughs> he absolutely got it wrong. He yeah. knew full well what he was doing. He needs to go. And I think it'll be the second one. Yeah, we'll get we'll get a watered down version of reality like number two there, but that doesn't exist. Number the, this the, the, the no, it doesn't. The reality is that you either know or you don't when you're the PM who is saying the rules on TV and then breaking them two well, hours well, hold later. Hold on, hold on. I forgot the best quote of the week, right. which came from Boris, which he said. Nobody told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this was against the rules. Yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to remember is that. One, absolutely yeah. insane. The man who set the rules, who told the public the rules at these COVID press conferences every single day. Exactly. And his response is, nobody told me this was against the rules. Are you mad? So this 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 middle middling reality doesn't exist. The one where it's a suggestion that he maybe he didn't know the rules fully or that he did, but he didn't know they applied here or there. Yep. He knew the rules. He knew he was breaking them. We're either going to get a report that is a complete lie and ignores all the evidence, or we're going to get a report that is... Uh, the truth, which is Boris knew, Boris messed up. The question is, when that report happens, if the Conservatives manage to get a leadership election underway, what happens? Uh, like, when is it? Yeah, I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll have it in them to wait till May, and I hope they don't because I do want right. the next Conservative leader to come into a tainted office that will continue to be tainted because this is a party problem not a Boris problem and he should go they've all done this he should go for all this all everything we've talked about and everything over the last 18 months Boris should have gone as soon as like the first hint of like party favours to corporations came out that turns out they were using COVID as an excuse to give people money yeah the fact that it, ha- it came down to them hosting parties when the rest of us couldn't makes complete sense because it is the first thing that they've done that is rule breaking that we could also do and therefore it's palpable for us we can measure that as an individual as an individual i cannot measure what it feels like to be responsible for like several billion dollars of corruption i don't know it doesn't land in my brain but i do know what it's like to choose to go to parties that i i'm supposed to not to or to choose to dodge those and just to uphold the rules so it makes sense that this is the thing that's crossing the line i i really hope that the the boris is out within a couple of months so that the next person also inherits a whole bunch of problems one final question because uh yeah time is ticking away and we've got a lot to get through looking into our chunky crystal balls yes what does sue gray's report next week say because i suspect it will be next week is it, it yeah uh, 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 you did wrong but it's it's middling or is it absolutely this guy did wrong and he needs to go i i i still expect it's going to be a watered down version of what actually happened so i think it is going to be the the second one that you mentioned yeah but that one is a lie as well okay right we'll leave it there let's uh, move on let's talk about covid rules which funnily enough in england have all or are all going to be dropped almost as I'm if surprised. this was uh, offered as an olive branch to unhappy yeah, it's like, mps it's, yeah it's like boris was like really unpopular or something and he needed a way to become a little bit more popular and chose to sacrifice public health 
for his own popularity. Almost like that. Indeed. So this is the news that as of Thursday uh, next week, mandatory face coverings in public and COVID passports are going to be dropped south of the border and the government is also dropping its advice for people to work from home. This came on the same day (laughs) that 400 people in England died of COVID. It's mad, yeah. Uh, However, the health secretary, Sajid Javid, said that uh, he believes the Omicron wave has now peaked and that it's a moment we can all be proud of. But he said uh, this should not be seen as the finish line because the virus and future variants cannot be eradicated. Instead, we must learn to live with COVID in the same way we live with the flu. So, James, that's what's happening in England. Is it a stretch to say that this was done as a result of all the turmoil happening at number 10? Oh, um, really tough question. I mean, you're (laughs) right, right? It's just obviously a result of them being weak and they're having to give in to what is popular demand in their own party and voter base, even if it is against the interests of everyone. Um, Because this isn't the time. Clearly not. Yeah, we've gone through a peak of this wave of the virus. How do you get another peak? By relaxing the rules when we're not even like halfway down the hill from where where, where we were. It's mid-January. Yeah. It's going to get worse if everybody starts going back into offices with zero, like, care in their mind for for health. Um, But that's what's being encouraged. And it's not because it's what's best for everybody's health. It's not even because it's what's best for the long-term interests of the nation. It's because it's what's best for trying to make the, the, the... balance sheets look good right now. Get businesses back in. Okay. Get everyone buying their their £2 sandwiches from Marks and Spencers again for lunch. £2.50 now. Yeah, it's all of those little decisions. It's all it's, it's nothing significant and it's just to try and boost their popularity. Maybe to keep Boris alive until May. Okay, well, let's go to Scotland and COVID restrictions. Some of them are being eased from Monday. Nightclubs are to reopen. Large indoor events are allowed to resume again. And social distancing rules will be dropped as well. This is after uh, what's being described as a significant fall in new case numbers. But people are still being asked to work from home and to take lateral flows before meeting with other people. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, told MSPs that Scotland had turned the corner on this Omicron wave. Kind of, yeah. Guidance advising adults against meeting up with more than three households at a time will also be scrapped, and uh, some curbs on indoor contact sports also out the window. Yes. And they've decided against extending vaccine passports. Uh, James, thoughts on this? Because this is, whilst a rollback of rules is less severe, less severe. than in England. I- For example, I suspect that masks will be a thing for some time to come. Hopefully. Hopefully hopefully for a long time because we're, we're, we're not... Makes we're, sense. We're still at a point in this wave where we're above the peak of the previous one, right? <laughs> there are currently more cases of coronavirus right now when we're easing more restrictions and there were at the height of the previous lock, not lockdown, previous peak. Yes. Where we had to have so many more restrictions and we had to wait and wait and wait to get them uh, eased. So it still feels like jumping the gun a wee bit. Yeah, we're we're at half the peak of what we were at with Omicron, but we're still not low. So it's not the time to be like removing so many of the restrictions. I think there are too many of them being removed. Maybe some of them, like least effective ones, yes. 
but I feel like it is still just encouraging us to 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 land in a point where we have too many people infected, too many people going into hospital, and therefore overwhelming NHS, and therefore causing secondary problems right, right. across the nation. So what the, the the difference is for me this time, and it's been a, a noticeable shift from people like Devi Sridhar, who has, for me, been very consistent over the, the course of the pandemic, has been very uh, sensible yeah. with advice and has come in for a lot of slack. Slack? Come for a lot of slack? Yeah. Stick. Stick and slack. Okay. Uh, for her, <laughs> slack her strong opinions. Uh, but she wrote an article in The, the Guardian, uh, which is worth looking up, and she describes the fact that science has defanged COVID. The fact that, for example, we have the, the science has transformed COVID from a deadly virus to a much less serious but still nasty disease. Yeah. One that's manageable at home for the vast majority of those vaccinated, uh, largely defanging it. Yeah. So her view seemed to be that we're doing the right thing in that we've got vaccines, we've got therapeutics. Kink. There's a couple of uh, drugs, like pills, being worked on at the moment from Pfizer and, and somebody else. Yeah. And that unvaccinated people, whilst they are still the problem, are far less... Po- well, at the start of the pandemic, all of us were unvaccinated. Populous, yeah. Now it's like, I think 94% of the UK vaccinated. So uh, there has to be a, at least with one. Maybe lower than that. I thought it was like 80. It's with one, I think 94 with one. But then, yeah, when you get down to a booster, it's maybe like 70 or 80. Oh, adult, adult population, it will be uh, right. yeah, so, nine, a high 90s. So to me, there does have to be that balance of, okay, well, what are the, what are the experts saying? Yeah. Uh, and that has surprised me somewhat in the last few days, just seeing people like Professor Devi Sridhar change their tune more unexpectedly than I thought. But again, yeah. they're the ones who know the science. I'm simply someone who's reading it. I, however, I, I still think she's looking at it and saying, hey, look, we've defanged COVID and blah, blah, blah. But it, she's still like a month or two ahead of where we, like, we, yeah, we have the means to have COVID de- defanged. But Omicron is only, Omicron, the, the, sorry, the vaccines for Omicron are only the booster ones. The, the, the first two jabs aren't that effective against it. That's what we learned especially Pfizer's first two jabs. I think Moderna was a little bit better. I don't actually remember the names of them anymore because I'm useless. Um, so so we're looking at the third dose, which is like 60% of the nation, of the adult population or something like that, which isn't as high. So it's not. we haven't defanged it yet until we reach the same peak for the for the booster jabs because the new wave is, 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 is pretty bad for people who don't have that yet. Um, and then we're looking, she's like, well, we got also got all these therapeutics, but half of them aren't actually available to, to the public yet. So, so, so yes, we've defanged it. And yes, that means that maybe by summertime, right. we'll have the means to treat it a bit more uh, recklessly because there are the, there's better treatment for it and stuff like that. But I don't think it's available right now when we're making the decisions that are a little bit reckless. All right, James, let's move on to what we've been watching. And then we've got a couple of uh, interesting developments in the world of TV shows, which we'll get to. Right. I have seen a film. I have another podcast to review. I know. Betrayal over here. And we have a listener review, too, from Amel, who's reviewing Help. All right. Uh, James, have you watched anything this week? I've got quite a lot of things I can review, (laughs) but I feel like it's a long show, so I could do a short one. I can I can talk about a film. Fair enough. Well, let me start then with Scream. 
Oh. Because myself and Graham went to see I mean, Scream, ah. which is the requel, reboot slash sequel yes. to Scream 4, I think? Something like that. There's been a few of them. In which uh, we see some old legacy characters and some new ones all come together. And rather than calling it Scream 5, they're just calling it Scream to make it, uh, I don't know, seem like an original. Yeah. And this movie is neither scary enough nor funny enough to worth to make it worth your while. It is, and here's the problem. Okay, the entire way, and I mean this, the entire way through the movie, it refers to itself in meta. So, in the early stages, um. They essentially recreate the opening scene of the original Scream. Yeah. And uh, yeah. The, the, that was in the trailer, yeah. The lead character is, is asked, what's your favorite, on the phone by the Scream character, what's your favorite scary movie? And she says, mm-hmm. The Babadook, which, right. for those of you who are aware, is a genuinely scary horror film. Actually, yeah, pretty good, yeah. And, and throughout the rest of the movie, they all talk about genuinely scary films over the last few years. So things like It Follows and Hereditary. There's all of these... Oh, the good ones. Nice. Right. So there's all these references, but they refuse to reference the fact that Scream is is also a, a horror movie. And what they do instead is they call it Stab. Oh. And there's a couple of scenes where the characters are watching. They are watching the original Scream movie on the TV. Right. I can see why they did that. But they call it Stab. Right. Okay. And then, as of course, you know, the, the Scream person is killing people one by one, blah, blah, blah. They all, all the characters get into a room, and then one of the characters stands up and says, Do you know what I think's happening? I think oh, no. that someone has seen these stab movies and they've realized, hey, they've made so many stab sequels, they're just not any fun anymore. What we need to do is a requel. We need to reboot and, and give this franchise a sequel. Right, a little, that's a bit too meta. And they, they literally go into the full, like, Hollywood's run out of ideas, and so all we have to do is bring back some old characters, and then the camera shows the old characters, <laughs> and we have to bring in some fresh faces, and the camera shows the fresh faces. The entire movie is a meta commentary about itself, and it's exhausting, <laughs> and it's not funny. If they did it, yeah. If they did it once, yeah, that's hard to execute. You know, for example, there, there's a nice scene in which the character, one of the characters who is watching Scream, is is watching the bit where Scream is. What's he called again? Uh, he's not called Scream. He's called something. Skull, Ghost, death, Ghostface. Deathface. Ghostface. Skullboy. <laughs> Ghostface is uh, in the original Scream, walking up to a couch where a character is watching the TV, and the the person who's watching the TV is like, "Turn around, turn around. He's right behind you." As Ghostface is right behind him, and this is then exactly copied in the new one except this time she's watching scream she's watching the original scream and telling that character to turn around Where whilst saying, ghostface is coming up behind her turn around so it's like triple meta it's, i like that though i like that right recreation. so so that is an example of well done. It done well right that is one scene but it is constant it is throughout the entire film it references <laughs> it itself 100 percent of the film was attempts at triple meta and only Two of the attempts actually landed. Right. Uh, and it just got so dull. And as I say... That's a shame. Wasn't I, funny, wasn't smart, wasn't scary, and see, um, I, yeah, disappointing. I, I kind of appreciate the effort, though. I kind of like that they tried so hard to do... And got so far. ...double meta, because it is actually the only new thing the film could have done. Because they could have just done what they were making fun of and done a requel. 
And it would have been like... They did. That's what it is. What what 10 other franchises have done. But instead, they did a self-aware one and tried (laughs) to make it interesting, a little bit different from the other franchises. And yeah, they failed. But I appreciate the attempt. Right, okay. I'm going to leave it there. There's more I could say, but yeah, disappointing. Okay, Okay, James, what about you? Tell us a movie. Uh, One of the films I have watched in the past few days is The Eternals. Oh, Marvel movie now on Disney+. Plus. That Marvel film that wasn't so Marvel-y. Okay, what did you think? I thought it was way better than the reviews are saying. Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was better than your review was saying. So to recap, listeners, I thought it was dull. I thought it was too long. I appreciated the fact that it was doing a lot for cinema generally because there's a deaf character. There's first openly gay superhero. It is free largely of any sort of Marvel-esque jokes. That aside, I thought it was way too long and uh, didn't really care about any of the lead characters. Right. Cared about the secondary characters. Okay. I will say, I agree, it was way too long. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My overall take of the of the length of the thing is they should have made this a high quality TV show, right? Because then they could have made it even longer, and it might have worked. Yep. Because it was way too long, and they still didn't have enough time to give everything the 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 time it needed to develop. Um, however, I think that their handling of character development and their handling of the nuance of all these different people, or I'm going to say people, I don't want it to be too spoilery in the world. Okay. Uh. Was 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 a bit was it had a bit of depth to it that we haven't seen in other Marvel um, productions, where other Marvel productions have just been like, here's a character, they do this and they do that. This one was like, here's some characters, here's their powers. How are they going to ha- use them with people around? Right. And they actually gave them all like a a different interest in humanity. Some of them had interests in. Uh, controlling humanity or creating peace by force. Some of them had interest in just like encouraging humanity to develop. Some of them had interest in like the black market and the interest of humanity's history. Right. And I and I liked that. And and they treated it all genuinely. And the relationships between all the different characters were believable. Uh, the tensions for some of them were believable in ways that I don't think Marvel have achieved tension between characters previously. Not aside from films like Civil War, where it was very blatant why there was tension. Okay, I, I think I, I genuinely think this could have been one of the best Marvel productions if it was a six or seven episode TV show where they gave more time to each of the characters. I think the biggest mistake the film made was in reordering the order events and revealing things in flashback. Okay. Where they could have just done it in the order of events and it would have been fine because it could have added interest to see uh, the dynamic of the, of the different characters as the audience knows things that they don't. Yes. Rather than us being treated as we are one of the characters and finding out whatever we need to in that moment, knowing more than them would have been interesting. So, like, yep. for me, all the reviews were coming in saying this is like a 5 out of 10 Pretty, pretty boring. Set at home. It's like Thor 2. It's, it's like way better than Thor 2. It is. It's like not good. I'm not saying it's like a 10 or a 9. It's not a very good film. But it's it's middling for Marvel. It's not one of their worst, which everyone is saying is one of their worst. It is not one of their worst. And it is quite beautiful. My summary was it's the bottom half. I'd put it right in the middle. I think okay. there are some of the acclaimed films that are worse than this one. Yeah, like I, I, I think I think this is as as good as Endgame because I I didn't like Endgame. Okay, Endgame was kind of trash. 
I well, I again, I agree. And as I said in my review, I felt they were really swinging for the fence here in terms of something different. Yes. And I just don't think I know. As I say, it did take a lot of boxes, but there were more misses than hits. There were misses. I I, I think I for most of the misses, I'm seeing studio studio intervention. Okay. Uh, or I'm seeing Marvel needing to have like some CGI bad guys and you've got to have CGI bad guys to fight and then yeah. the CGI bad guys were meaningless again. But that's just a Marvel problem, not a this film problem. The CGI bad guys are right. always meaningless in Marvel. So it's not a point against this film. That's a point against the Marvel uh, method. They shouldn't have put the Marvel method in this film. Okay. Yeah, I, got, I, I could talk about it a lot. That's about as short as I can make it. It was a it was a pretty beautiful film. I enjoyed watching it. Definitely not nicely shot. A ten out of ten. Um, but enjoyable if you have zero expectations, which I did because everyone said it was rubbish. Uh, and there's a sex scene. There is a very awkward sex scene. Um, <laughs> again, though, people said it was like out of nowhere, and I was like, when it, on the build up to it, I was like, oh no, is this going to be an awkward sex scene? Yeah. Like after all this time, Marvel are going to do it. And they did it. And they um, did it, literally. It was very obvious that there was going to be an awkward sex scene. I'm glad it didn't last like a minute. It was like 10 seconds. Oh, well, it's true to life then, isn't it? Okay, let's uh, move on. Well, it was on, on the beach, so they probably didn't enjoy it at all. So awkwardness, 10 out of 10. Fair enough. Dear listener, if you have reviewed, or have reviewed, if you want to review something for the show, you can. If you've watched a TV show, perhaps you've watched Eternals on Disney+, and you disagree, you thought it was incredible, send us a review as Amel has done. She is back in the show. Here she is with her review for Help. Here we go. Hello. Well, hello there, and happy 2022, Seesaw Parade. I thought I would bless you with another rambly review my speciality. No, no, no. And it is for Channel 4's film Help, which was a, tw- a 2020 film starring Jodie Comer and Stephen Graham, uh-huh. who, as you can imagine, are both superb in it. Absolutely. Um, Jodie plays Sarah, a young lady, comes from a challenging family and has had quite limited education. She starts work at Bright Sky Care Home where it turns out she actually really has quite a gift for connecting with the residents and um, she's just we see her growing and her confidence and her abilities. Um, in particular, she connects with Tony, played by Stephen, who has early onset Alzheimer's. Uh-huh. Things seem to be going well. And then March 2020 comes around and the pandemic hits. Uh-huh. And of course, at the time, I think we had a sense of things being bad for care homes. Mm-hmm. But looking back and sort of knowing what we know now and, and seeing it painted out, it is grim. Oh. It's really tough watching. Just seeing, you know, your heart is in your mouth as the, the work Workers have no PPE. COVID patients from hospitals are brought to the care home. Um, residents have to, they're they're stuck in their own rooms. They can't see their family. Oh, no. It is all just really awful to watch. And the sort of crescendo of this is a scene in which Jodie's character, Sarah, is left helpless um, as the rest of the, st- the care home staff are either sick or isolating. Oof. And she, so she's literally on her own with all these care home residents, one of whom has COVID so badly, he's essentially on the brink of death. She is, she has no PPE. She's in a bin bag and a dust mask and she can't get an ambulance. She can't get help from the GP and it feels like you're watching a nightmare. It is Mm. agonising. And the way that it it is shot, it's almost like watching a sort of 
like a scene from a thriller or a horror or something, mm. it really does capture just how grim the situation is and was for people like Sarah. Overall, the, the film is very sad and stark. There are some really agonising moments, some really awful yeah. moments. I would say the last section does sort of lose a bit of the momentum and believability that the, the first parts of the film have. But overall, it's a really compelling performance. It's really well written, really yeah. well shot. And... It's certainly not one to watch when you've had a bad day, <laughs> but it's definitely worth a watch because it is really horrifying, but yeah. it's realistic. It's portraying a horrifying truth. And so as uncomfortable and awful as it is to watch it, it's really worth a watch. Right. Um, and it will almost certainly leave you feeling really angry at the way that the government failed care homes, not only the residents, but the staff as well. On reflection, I realised this was perhaps not the most upbeat film to start 2022 with um, by reviewing. <laughs> but, ne well, next time I'll just have to choose a more cheery one to review. Or maybe I'll go more depressing. Who maybe. knows? You will just have to tune in to find out. Wow. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. And what's better at giving people like a hook to listen to the next episode than we are? <laughs> no. Hey, Mel, do you want to take over hosting? Just do it yourself. <laughs> It'll be a better show anyway. But yeah, thank you, ML, for that. Ceaseoperate at gmail.com if you want to send in yours. No, that sounded, that sounded like a properly important thing to have produced in terms of like a film, which is probably why <laughs> Channel 4 are not super popular with the Conservatives. Indeed. Okay, James, I've got one more thing to review. It is another podcast. And for those of you of, uh, of church persuasion, or perhaps you were raised in church households, or you still have church involvement, right. this one's for you. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mm -hmm. And it is a fascinating and horrifying look into the rise, well, and fall, as the title would uh, suggest, right, yes. of this super church in Seattle, which was led by Pastor Mark Driscoll. Right. Oh. who eventually had to resign in disgrace because of bullying allegations, uh, the way he treated other men, uh, the things he would say in his services, like horrendously sexually explicit stuff. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. these awful things which are like added up and added up and added up. And uh, things like he wrote a book and his own church bought 100 or 11,000 copies, so he got into the New York Times bestseller end-of-year list. Well, yeah, well, All yeah. this terrible, terrible stuff which is explained through interviews with people who were there right. over the course of probably 14 or 15 hours worth of content. So it is, it was actually a recommendation from Amel as well. I dived uh, straight into it over Christmas and honestly could not stop listening to it. So if you are interested in hearing these, uh, and, some, and some great stories in there as well, but also how basically in some churches and some circles we can glorify people and we gloss over their you know oh, yeah. terrible personal uh, attributes because you know look at all the people who come to church look at all the money we've got and they ignore all the really toxic stuff so if you're looking for a really nicely scripted well edited 
and uh, telling a, a really gripping narrative right. than The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is um, all right. on all good places you get your podcasts. No, that sounds, that, sounds, that sounds like super interesting. It is. It's really, I mean, it's terrible, but it's it's great. I would have kept on listening if there was more. I, I, really, I really enjoy breakdowns of like when a, a group with a united purpose like basically becomes a, a cult of personality, right? There, there, Which is exactly this. It's not uncommon. So I like hearing these. I like hearing these, so we can look, so we can learn more about them, and then yes. look out for them because it happens in yep. all facets of life. Okay, uh, James, we've got a trailer and we've got some uh, some news to talk about as well. Let's start with the trailer. It is the first look at Moon Knight. Yep, which is Marvel's new TV show starring. Oscar Isaac, who I'm a big fan of Indeed. in the lead role. And then we've got Ethan Hawke, who I'm also a big fan of in the uh, the villain role. So here's a clip. I have a sleeping disorder. I can't tell the difference between my waking life and dreams. Hello and welcome to the I'm losing it. We'll catch you on. You're bloody useless, Stevie. Steven. Okay, James, I thought this looks really interesting. For a, for a Disney Marvel thing, yeah. And a little bit different, which I'm totally on board with. What do you think? No, I, I, agree, I agree with that completely. It looks not like everything else that they've done, and therefore it has a lot of interest. And the people that are in the lead roles are very talented. So thumbs up so far. Yeah, and it's Oscar Isaac doing an English accent, so now I know how Americans feel when they hear Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> because part of me is thinking, is, right. it, is that English? How convincing is that? You, okay, it's pretty good. You get away with it. If you know the character, which I'm not sure the trailer fully reveals, if you know the character, you actually get away with yep. having not good accent work. So it makes sense in-universe why he wouldn't have such a good accent, even if it might just be because... It's an American trying to do an English accent. Indeed. So that is, uh, I think, coming out in March. Yeah. So it's ba- so so it's basically like going to be a an attempt at a darker show from Disney, something with more non kid friendly yeah. narrative and character and decisions. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull that off with their aims of keeping things like PG and technically like child friendly. Um, which they've been able to do a little bit of in some of their shows so far and some of their films so far, but this whole thing is going to be along those lines. So I am interested to see if they manage it because it opens up the floor to a lot of other characters and a lot of yeah. other stories to see what they can tell with them because the comics have always, of course, been more adult-oriented. Okay, and our second piece of movie, well, TV show news is Amazon's new Lord of the Rings TV series has a name. The most expensive TV series ever. Wow. And it's called The Rings of Power. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Okay. <laughs> well, James, what do you think? There was a, uh, well, a a teaser in which just lots of people poured uh, molten metal into wood. Yeah, yeah. I'd go and watch the teaser, see if you can Why? find it. The title announcement teaser. Because I watched it and I was like, oh my goodness, that CGI is not very good. And then I watched the behind the scenes of the teaser and it's not CGI. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. It's real. I was like, wait, ow, oh, that's where we've reached in terms of technology where like sometimes you can film things and make it so so hyper real that it looks like hyper real CGI. Um, 
So no, I like I appreciate this. One, okay, because the title is vague enough that it's like not a reveal of what the story is going to be, while it specifies the period of time that it takes place in. Right. And for those in the know about Lord of the Rings and the history before the 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 more popular films that have come out. It's going to be like, well, this is a lot of story. There's a lot of potential here. They're covering a whole wide range of characters and land and narratives and time, like thousands of years, I believe. So yep. we're going to have to see how they how they do this because we already have characters announced who are only there for like the very end of the time period, but also characters who are only there for the very beginning of the time period. So right, it's it's they're they're taking on an interesting challenge of like. A, a big story expanding a lot of time and also maybe showing us all of that time all at once. <laughs> so I'm interested. And the amount of money they've put in, I'm interested. And then, because they actually tried hard with the title reveal and made it with real, actual, yep. uh, practical effects, I'm 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 glad to see that they might be taking a more of a practical effects leaning with the show as well, because that's what makes shows land. The more things that are actually there and real, the better for me. And that's what made the original Lord of the Rings trilogy so good compared to, say, The Hobbit, because The Hobbit was largely CGI and you could tell. Yeah. Whereas the original Lord of the Rings, and you can see videos of this on YouTube, the amount of stuff which was that they actually did and yeah, actually loads made of stuff was practical. Yeah. It's amazing, and it's only in that third movie, The Return of the King, that they began to lean more into CGI, and and that's why I believe most people would rank that one lower down their list in terms of the three best. It's the one that feels the least grounded, and yeah, they had right. to scale everything up, and they still did rely a lot on practical things like miniatures and and yep. like getting a lot of people on horses and stuff like that but their solutions to other problems were just hey we'll cgi it and it'll be okay okay and that's why that film's aged the least good um stuff like that that's why it lands as the least grounded and the most ethereal but maybe that works for that film it's a discussion for another time and the tv show starts airing on september 2nd and episodes drop every friday yeah and i am actually excited i yep i hate amazon but yep, I also hate every single other company that's making things. So I can be excited for this because we live in a society. <laughs> I'll try to be brief. I, my, my short talk on Eternals was like 10 minutes. Okay, so we're heading into our final stretch here. We have six stories in brief, and I mean in brief here, right. to talk about to give you the headlines to make sure you keep on listening. Yes. Russia, Prince Andrew, the Metropolitan Police, Novak Djokovic, the House of Lords, and Meatloaf, or as I've written here, Maltloaf. So let's start with <laughs> Russian tensions at the Ukraine border. So right. the US Secretary of State Antony Blinken is meeting the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov today in Geneva uh, for talks over the concerns that Russia is about to invade Ukraine at any point. So yep. Mr. Blinken, in his opening remarks, said this is a critical moment. And though he doesn't expect to resolve our differences here today, he still hoped to test whether diplomacy was a viable yes. option. And speaking after the talks, Mr. Lavrov said uh, they were open and useful. And as we've uh, described on the show before, there are apparently around 100,000 troops 
near the border of Ukraine, and Indeed. Putin has denied planning to invade. No, they're just like amassing troops at the border. James, very different. Tell me what you think. And we also had Liz Truss, Indeed. the uh, UK foreign secretary, who threatened to, to to really lay down the law, and everyone said, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for your input, Liz. Yeah, go go back to your office." Uh, what do you think of this? Uh, the current state of things, because this is concerning, isn't it? It is. And it's especially concerning because in a lot of ways, the future of Russia does depend on doing something to secure their place in the like right. energy providing sector of the world. Okay. Because Ukraine is going to be a competitor there because there is gas available to them. And if they start exporting gas, Russia takes a hit. So like... And that's just one of the several right, but, reasons. But Russia to do this. and Putin have said basically one of their demands is that Ukraine are not allowed to join NATO. That seems to be one of the sticking points. That's that's like one. Of, that's their like the thing they're willing to say publicly. Like they want to, hey, we just don't want you guys to have power at our borders. But we've we've got power at the borders. It doesn't actually make much of a difference if they don't intend to do anything. Right. You know, like having a war. But their intent is to expand because then they take out the competition for the near future of gas exports. There's like a few other reasons why they would want to destabilize the world and stuff like that. If they can successfully take land from Ukraine, they weaken non-NATO members' beliefs in NATO and therefore more people will be uh, less eager to join NATO because it's meaningless anyway, stuff like that. So, th- so there's a lot of valid reason for Russia to want to do something like this. So it's scary that they look like they might, and it is why a lot of countries are taking it seriously. Even if Joe Biden is using things like using phrases like "minor incursion" instead of like treating it seriously, right, so, so that, we do have that leads me on to the, my question, which is: Let's say Russia invades Ukraine, right? What happens? What what ha- what's the response? NATO does nothing. Um, NATO aren't, wouldn't be wouldn't be able to do anything because Ukraine aren't officially a part of it. I doubt NATO would do very much, even if Ukraine were. Sadly, I don't really believe in NATO too strongly right now in terms of actual lines of defense. So, what about the US and the UK then? What we are doing uh, is providing Ukraine with defensive weaponry. We are. The UK is giving them anti tank weapons and people to train them how to use them the u.s is doing the same providing them with like javelin missiles and stuff like that other countries are putting more of their um uh, their 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 fleets into the black sea to provide more deterrent for russia to kick things off because the more neutral or the more friendly um ships there are of course the less likely russia is to just take control of the whole place um so people are amassing uh, defensive capabilities in Ukraine and deterrence, uh, but nothing too aggressive so that Russia hopefully can't just say, you guys are doing this. However, what will happen is just Russia will fire a missile into their own troops, say it was Ukraine, invade. Ukraine won't have the ability to defend itself. They, they, they are going to be left alone to do so. They will lose some amount of their land, whatever amount Russia deems they need to make this a feasible future yeah and then the world's destabilized everyone will do what we did when they took crimea and just like pretend everything's fine and maybe they'll do another incursion in 20 years and 10 years when they need to do it again okay so so that that point there about crimea is where i would leave it because ultimately russia have done this before yep in living memory yep. they went into ukraine reclaimed crimea claimed everyone crimea. was saying hey 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 putin you can't do that and then he did it and nothing happened that, to me, yeah. is what this is 
going to be. And ultimately, as you've said there, James, yeah. there was a warning this week of a false flag. Now, a false flag, as you described, is something that Russia does itself to its own people yeah. and then says, hey, it was Ukraine. Therefore, yeah. we're going to go get Ukraine back. And they use that as the reason. And nobody believes them, but they tell their population that they did it and it gives them enough right. of a standing to get away with it internally. But nobody actually believes them. Okay, finally, the only thing we can really do as the EU and stuff is move away from dependence on gas and persuade Russia to diversify its economy by making it clear that even if they're the only gas supplier in the world, they still aren't going to make money. Okay, well, let's move on. Time ticking down. The Duke of York, Prince Andrew, uh, has had his military titles and royal patronages returned to the Queen. What a huge move. Uh, the wow. The 61-year-old will also stop using His Royal Highness in an official capacity. He's no longer the Earl of Inverness. Yeah. And it comes as he faces civil action in the States over the sexual assault allegations raised by Virginia Dufresne at claims he has consistently denied. So, to be clear... This is something that Buckingham Palace instigated. It was not Prince Andrew going back to them and saying, "Hey, I I, I feel a bit bad. Yeah. Can I take all? Can I give you all these things back?" No, no, no Buckingham no, no, no. Palace essentially rescinded all this on his behalf. So that to me is a is a big is a big move. It is an, it's an indication that nobody believes him. That nobody believes that he's a good guy. That nobody believes yeah, that yeah. he's going to get away from all this clean. Especially because in the Maxwell case, they are no longer required to keep the names of the people on the list uh, anonymous. So more things are going to go public over time. So it's looking really bad for him and he deserves every element of that bad, especially because he keeps insisting that he's innocent. Like that makes it so much worse. The fact that he thinks he can still get away with all this and that he should be able to keep his titles and his estates and all of these things that should be getting stripped from him at an even faster rate than they are. Okay, moving on and linking back to a previous story or previous weeks in which we've made this running joke, the Metropolitan Police have confirmed they will not be investigating any of the Downing Street parties Mm -hmm. unless and until (laughs) the Sue Gray inquiry finds evidence of criminality. So so essentially, the Met are relying on internal inquiries to decide for them if a crime has been committed. That is insane. It's actually insane. It's, It's so bad. It just shows so much how how weak the Met is when it comes to the Conservative Party, what, what, who we can only assume are their mates at this point. Right, right. So that, to me, is the only conclusion from all of this, because the Met Police, if this was a Labour government, you would assume they would have been straight in there. It, yeah, or if it was private parties, they would have been investigating it As like they, they do and have been doing the whole time. The only people who aren't getting investigated the current government and anyone else would have been and it is insane that their 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 line for this was that they'll wait for the internal investigation first and depending on the results they'll investigate i could maybe say yeah you could like not do anything publicly until until the internal investigation is done you don't want to like influence people's opinion until the internal investigation is done but they should be investigating it right now even if it's not public the fact that they're saying they might investigate if the in- internal investigation shows there's some lawlessness, it's sickening. And we know that there is law breaking constantly in the Conservative Party. We talked about some of it earlier on yeah. with the withholding of funds from constituencies as bribery and blackmail. That's also something that the police need to investigate. 
there's so many things and they just refuse to. It's sickening. Uh, do you know what was funny as well? Just in the back of that, someone else reminded me that a few months ago, uh, cocaine was found or elements of cocaine on the tops of bathrooms yeah. was found in the uh, in the comments. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. And nothing happened. This isn't surprising either. What's going to happen? Oh, they're just going to have like a, a couple of extra sniffer dogs, I guess. Uh, right, exactly. Okay, let's move on. Novak Djokovic's 11-day Australian saga has come to an end Ha-ha. after he was chucked out the country by the Australian government. So the nine-time Aussie Open champion was initially in detention after his visa was cancelled by border officials. He was in Melbourne for uh, a few days and then eventually the federal government conceded uh, well after they conceded they were unfair and failing to give him enough time. The government essentially stepped in and said no we're chucking you out on grounds of uh, health and maintaining order for the people of Australia. And the news today, as of Friday, is that he's planning a £3.2 million lawsuit against the Australian government for damages slash lost prize money, (laughs) as he would be defending (laughs) his uh, Aussie Open title, which is now underway in the country. He don't don't got it. His initial entry was cancelled, um... And the only reason it got rescinded is because the cancellation wasn't le- wasn't done by procedure. It wasn't because the cancellation was unfair. He's been a, he's been booted out of the country by ministerial powers that are basically not challengeable on any level aside from like. Also, this was done out with procedure. Yeah, but it was done within procedure. I I doubt he wins a case, uh, legal or civil or anything. Um, regarding this again, especially because he did lie on his visa. On his visa application, there was lies. He signed it. And then he's like, well, my agent lied. I didn't realize. You signed it, mate. You should have read the whole thing and made sure you've made a mistake. You're out. And the follow-up is that he's not allowed into France unless he's vaccinated. Good news. This guy needs to be punished for his stupidity because he lied to everyone. He broke the rules, and then he tried to like pretend he didn't. Okay, penultimately, let's talk about the House of Lords, which amazingly actually did something useful. So this is the oh, story. They do something useful sometimes, yeah. That the government suffered a series of defeats in the House of Lords over its plans to clamp down on disruptive and noisy protests, as we talked about at the end of last year. So peers uh, voted against. A range of these additional measures in the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, uh, including essentially things like, hey, if this protest is noisy, we can shut it down. Yes. And uh, also voted against the measure, which would have made it illegal for protesters to uh, chain themselves to things or to other people, including linking arms, which would have been made illegal. So this uh, is is wild. We had a couple of lords make comments, one of whom, Lord Haynes, said this was the biggest threat to the right to dissent and the right to protest he'd seen in his lifetime, mm-hmm. adding that it would have been it, that this these measures would have throttled the likes of protesting from the suffragettes in the early 20th century. Yeah. So this, to me, then James, was done against the noise of um, uh, done against a background of drumming noises from outside uh, Parliament, which was. Funny, but uh, this to me is a, a is a, a bad defeat for the government, and they are unable to reintroduce these particularly nasty measures against protesting when the bill gets returned to Commons for a final vote. Yeah, so this is what we like to see from the House of Lords: as 
as much as we detest an unelected bunch of people making rules for us, especially hereditary positions within that structure, it is good to see the checks and balances against a terrible government actually being effective. And the Lords have been effective several times in the in recent Tory rule in minimizing the damage they're able to do. Um, so like it is good to have structures in place that make sure that things that are getting done by the government are actually okay. So as much as we might want to change the structure of that, good on them for being effective in this instance. I I, I, I I would hope that the lesson learned from the government is to stop adding random extreme measures to bills without like any thought and that they could stop doing this and actually start like trying to do things that are like encouraging of democracy or encouraging of equality and anything like that. But hey, I reckon they'll just keep trying to sneak bills past the Lords until they're out. Okay, and finally, for this episode, Meatloaf has died. The 74-year-old singer who was best known for his Bat Out of Hell album, uh, one of the best-selling of all time, uh, was confirmed on his Facebook page by his family that he died uh, peacefully with his wife, Deborah by his side. So uh, Mr. Meatloaf sold over 100 million albums worldwide, appeared in a whole host of movies, including Fight Club and Wayne's World. And uh, yeah, is best known for all sorts of big songs, including I Would Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. And people have debated what that that was. So what was it? Probably not death. I don't know. (laughs) Nope, that's true. Were you a fan of, of uh, Meatloaf, James? I, I I can't say I had like too big an attachment to Meatloaf. Meatloaf to me was more mostly just like this cultural icon that I knew. Yeah. And I knew some of the work by and I knew his appearance. But not so much that I knew what he looked like when he was actually like at peak performance. I only knew his like yeah, okay. old man looks. So that's like that's the attachment I was at. I didn't really have a great attachment to the dude. But hey, he's dead. Big shame. I'm sorry to the family. And also, uh, Betty White died, like, two weeks ago. Betty White did die. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. She died last year. Uh, I think Betty White is... Was it last year? Yeah, she died in the last day of the year. um, Oh, no. I think. Uh, Betty White is a very interesting cultural icon because she was so old. 99. She was, like, as old as as MLK would have been. She was uh, older than Anne Frank would have been. Wow maybe around about the same age. So the interesting thing to me is that Betty White's entire history in my brain is in colour. She's not like a black and white in my brain yeah. at any point in her history. Whereas icons or people like MLK or like Anne Frank are black and white. Yep. And I think it's a very interesting choice that society is making to portray people who aren't actually so far in the past as though they are just by removing the colour from the photos that they're in. Mm-hmm. Especially when they actually literally remove color from the photos that they're in. You sometimes you see a picture of of some of these uh, older icons of very significant historical value and Im- 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 historical improvement, and the picture is the original was in color, and they've people have removed the color oh. in whatever report is on it. Wow! And it's just like, what are you? What is your actual goal here? Because it's it's not often a very good goal. Well, I wonder in my memorial will i be 
black and whited. Maybe. And it might be because they're trying to make you seem further in the past than you are ah. so that people think that the problems are actually solved a long time ago rather than recently. Yeah, exactly. It was a long time ago, so the way that Colin was was just unacceptable to some people. Yeah, and it must have been like several hundred years ago, <laughs> not like in the 60s. Wait. Or now. Not like in the whatever age Colin is. <laughs> okay, well, let's bring this show to a close. Thank you so much for listening. James, thank you for your time, your contributions. Oh, thank you. Valuable as ever. And dear listener, if you have anything else to add, then please do let us know at Seesawparade on Twitter, seesawparade at gmail.com, and I'll seesaw you next week. Oh, no. No, ter- no. Actually terrible. <laughs> okay, bye, James. Bye.